Thank you. So welcome to Vintage, if this is your first time. One of the great things I love about this body is that we have been real intentional since at least 2014 to make foster care our primary local outreach. And so we give a lot of uh, time, talents, finances, energy to making a difference in, in the lives of children who are in care. And, uh, and we've been doing that for the last seven years. Uh, significantly, we've served over in our homes that are part of this body. We've served over 70 children who see you guys as aunts, cousins, grandparents, things like that. So uh, currently, we have eight foster families. Um, and if you are here and you are one of our foster families, will you stand up? Sorry to make you do that. Great. Thanks. These people are awesome. So um, many of you have questions about what is foster care, what, why do people come into foster care, uh, what does it mean to be a foster family, how can we make a difference, I don't know if I need to foster, maybe I just help. But today I'm excited because we're going to have a panel of experts, all with unique perspectives, that will answer some questions. We're just going to have a dialogue on stage about some things that people are curious about and we always seem to get questions about. So first off, we have... Um, Carolyn Altman, she's a juvenile court judge here in Paulding County. She sees the foster care cases in Paulding County. We also have um, Jason, Air- Jason Airman. He is the Paulding County DFACS director. So he manages all the employees, all the cases, making sure things are working well, and his employees are doing what they should and being loved on and cared for as well. Um, he and I are on um, his chairman on the Paulding County Board. So um, I love this guy, and he's really good at what he does. Um, and then we also have one of our very own foster parents, Michael Stover, hey, who's one of our foster parents. He'll be up here as well. So I'm going to facilitate a conversation with us, and hopefully we get some of your questions answered, and you leave with a better understanding of what is foster care, what are we called to do, what can I do, and maybe God will give you some ideas about how you can make a difference. So if my panel can come on up, I'm going to tell a little bit about them when they come up. Okay, so Jason, he has been 24 years with the Division of Family and Children's Services. That's a long time in this job. The majority of his time been in Region 3, which is the Northwest area. Um, He's also served as a part-time adjunct professor at KSU, um, undergrad and master's level student in the Department of Social Work, and human services. He earned his bachelor's degree in psychology from Lee. Uh, he earned a master's degree with field placement honors in social work from Georgia State. Carolyn Altman here is the juvenile court judge in Paulding and a certified child welfare, child welfare uh, law, law specialist. She earned her bachelor's degree from Samford University in Birmingham, law degree from Georgia State. And prior to becoming a judge, she worked in Douglas County Juvenile Court for 10 years. Uh, She's married to Marty Altman. They have three kids, two dogs, and they dream about building a tiny house. And I forgot to say, Jason's also married. He has six kids, and he's married to Catherine, a school psychologist. Okay, then we have Michael, whom you all know and love. He grew up in Augusta. He and Shannon got married. They started doing foster care in 2015. Uh, Before they came to Vintage, he works in commercial refrigeration, and they've parented eight children through foster care and currently have four with them right now. So give them a round of applause. (laughs) 
Do we have the handheld mic that I can give to the judge? I'm so glad to have them here, you guys. And I know you guys have tons of questions. Tons of questions. We're just going to try to cover. This is really conversational. We just want to cover a little bit about what we think people want to know and what an experience is like being a foster parent and also foster children and even a biological parent as well. And so we're going to just kind of powwow. We might interrupt each other, and that's totally fine. Um, But anyway, thank you for being here with that. We'll first start off. I do have a question for you, Jason. Okay. Talk to us about what happens. How does a child come into foster care? What happens um, if, if someone calls and they see something that looks fishy at a neighbor's house and they call to report maybe an incident of child abuse or neglect, what happens? Okay. So a call comes into our centralized intake, which is 1-855-GEORGIA-CHILD, and um, the majority of our calls actually come from the school system, so that's interesting to know, but certainly neighbors, too, and others make reports where they feel like a child is either being abused or being neglected. And so um, when that first comes in, we have a centralized intake system that decides, based on the information, is this a child that needs to be seen immediately? Is this a child that needs to be seen within 24 hours? Or is this a child that needs to be seen within 72 hours? So it gets, res- it gets assigned a response time. And then it, if it's a Paulding County um, child, then it comes into my office. And at that point, we, um, we have someone go out based on the assigned response time. And what they're going to do is they're going to interview um, the alleged victim as well as all the children in the home, all the caregivers in the home, all the household members, and they will call collaterals too. And so from all that, they're going to, try, they're going to decide either this is not a child that's being abused or neglected but needs some support, and that would be called a family support case. And so we'll put some services in to help the family. Maybe they've got some risk issues going on, but the child's not being abused, currently being abused or neglected. Or sometimes there's enough evidence that we need to make it an investigation. And so with an investigation, we're going to do a little bit more work, and we're going to, we're going to interview everybody involved, including collaterals, and we're going to make an actual decision about either what's called unsubstantiating, which means there's not enough evidence to prove that there's abuse or neglect going on, or substantiating. And usually we're looking for more than 50% to make that determination. And families actually have, um, they have the right to, to um, have that considered to be overturned, too. So, you know, we have to be really careful about doing, doing really good work in our investigations. Um, but um, if we substantiate, we're also probably looking at, does this family need a safety plan? Um, because it sounds like abuse or neglect has occurred. And so um, what are we going to do to keep this child safe? Um, one of the things we, we will oftentimes do is if the alleged perpetrator lives in the home, we will ask them to leave the home for a period of time so they can get some services. Um, so that's one of the big things we will do. Or sometimes we can have somebody move into the home. Sometimes grandma can move into the home, and she can help keep the, um, keep the kids safe. Um, sometimes we're able just to put services in, and that keeps the kids safe. Sometimes we're not able to do any of that. Um, and so in those situations where there's, there, that we, we can't have an adult leave the home, we can't have an adult come into the home, them, and we don't have maybe a neighbor or a family um, that can step in or a relative that can step in, in those situations, um, we are going to be calling the court and, um, and asking um, for removal. Uh, and again, we want to try to do all those things first because we know it's extremely traumatic for a child to have to leave their home. 
And so we want to avoid that if we can. We want to help support the family in keeping their child safe. But there are some cases where that's not, um, not an option. And so then we can't make the decision to remove, but we can certainly um, testify um, to the court about why we feel like this child is not safe in the home and what reasonable efforts we've already done to try to prevent removing the child. There are no kids that come into foster care in Paulding County without the, a court authorizing it. Since I'm the only juvenile court judge, that means all kids come into foster care through me. Um, and then in our first year, we have seven court hearings. Um, that's a lot uh, under any standard. It's a lot. Um, but what you heard Jason talk about was all the vetting that happens before they come into foster care. So the decision is basically we know that pulling them out of the home is going to be painful and cause harm. I know that's going to happen. So we only make that decision when DFAX calls and says, we've tried A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Or there is literally nothing we can do at this exact moment that's going to, like, this kid has to come into care because there's, there's nothing to do. We had two parents that were arrested that were out of state, and we had a four-year-old. Um, there was literally nowhere for this four-year-old to go except sit at the sheriff's office or come to foster care. Bring me that baby. Um, she does not need to sit at the sheriff's office any longer. So there was nothing DFACS could have done at that moment other than let's get this baby into, into a proper home. Um, and so those decisions are made. So we know that that's going to cause harm. We know it's going to cause tra uh, trauma. But we make that decision at the point where leaving them in the home will be worse than the harm it will cause to take them out of the home. And so, Michael, what happens when you get a call that, you, that there are kids? Well, first you panic a little bit because things have been quiet around the house. We don't have any kids of our own, mm -hmm. so you panic a little bit and realize that life's going to change. Um, but you just, you know, usually we sit down and say prayer. We try to prepare best we can. Um, usually it's a couple few hours warning. Uh, and then we end up, uh, you know, usually loading everybody up in the car. We make a Walmart run. Um, children generally don't come in, you know, with a full wardrobe and underwear and diapers and all that other good stuff. So... Uh, and then it's just settling in, trying to see what life is going to be like. There's usually a honeymoon period where, you know, they're feeling us out and we're feeling them out. And then uh, usually after a couple of days, you start to see some of the challenges that come along with foster kids. But, you know, the kids, the kids aren't the scary part. The behaviors may be scary. The situations may be scary. But ultimately, they're just kids that, you know, need some love. And, and uh, you try to take care of them best you can. Right. Good. So when, say you've place them in a foster home. Um, Judge Altman, can you tell us a little bit about the process of what happens once they get placed in the home? And another um, hesitation or complaint that we seem to get a lot or feel actually as foster families is children are in care for a super long time, a lot of times. Some of them have been in care, you know, uh, basically all the vintage families I think are right around two to three years that their kids have been with them. Uh, their foster kids have been with them, and then some go three, four, five years, things like that. And so talk to us about what is happening during that time. So many, 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 many things. Um, and not all of them are good that are happening. So if, if life was ideal and the system and all things were ideal, as I said, we'd have those seven hearings uh, that would all happen on time without delay, we would have the same attorneys on the case from beginning to end. We would have the same caseworker from beginning to end. Um, and we would have people acting quickly. But we're dealing with very broken people who have a lot of problems. And we're requiring them to do a lot all at once, to change everything all at one time. Um, and it takes a lot. 
So just for, imagine for a second that you, your, your kids get removed, all right? So now you know it's bad, all right? Whatever you've been covering up, your, your drug addiction, your violence in the home, your mental health problems, whatever your secret is that you have been working really hard to keep that thing pat down shut um, is now exposed to everybody, and you're going to court. And you are in a room with 20 people talking about your biggest secret that you have tried so hard to keep from everybody. Now go to treatment. Now change your friends. Now change where you live. Oh, and you're not going to be around your kids. Um, and you're going to be navigating a court system. You're going to have a caseworker call you. You're going to have an attorney who you're going to talk to. And you're going to come to court. And you're going to do all these things. Um, and while you were in literally one of the most stressful periods of your life, if your coping skill had been to use drugs, uh, you can't do that anymore. So everything you must change, go. It, it doesn't work like that, right? And these are families. So everybody that you know has somehow been contributing to your secret or covering it up or doing it with you. Um, and so maybe you go into treatment and the other person doesn't. So now what do you do? Like, I love this person. What do I do? Like, are they going to do it? Or make? It takes a while. And the other thing is, is that, I mean, has anybody here tried to lose weight? And you did, and then you gained some of it back again, and then you, you know, I mean, that's just weight loss. That's not even drugs, right? It, it's a whole process. And the other question is, if your marriage was at risk, how long would you work on it to fix it? A month? Three months? Six months? Your kids? How, how long should, should you work before we see if, if we're going to separate permanently? Six months, right? Come on. Sometimes it takes a long time because we need to know that if we are at that point where we're going to separate parents and children forever, that we tried every single thing that we could. And it is, it does take a long time. And there's a lot of bad reasons for why it takes a long time. But there's good reasons, and that's because people are making progress. And then they relapse. And then they're making more progress. And sometimes you've got to see where they are in that continuum. And we want to give every single opportunity to bring healing to a very broken family, to bring healing to very broken kids, to very broken parents, to very broken systems. Because we want reunification. We want restoration. God created this family for a reason. There was no child born to any parent by accident, only by divine plan. So before we're going to separate, we need to be sure that we are doing everything that we can to go the other way. But the other part of God's divine plan is adoption, right? By his spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, so God believes in adoption. We believe in adoption too. Mm -hmm. But that's why reunification is our first goal, right? Because what's God's hope for everybody? Healing, restoration, hope, freedom from all the things, from all the things. Um, and so that's why it takes long, and it takes long because it's, broken and because we're dealing with broken and hurting people and then we are dealing with tired caseworkers and attorneys and judges and casas um, it is it is difficult work and it is hard and that also sometimes causes delay which is sort of unfair but let's be honest that some of us are tired and that's why things don't get done quite as soon as they need to be done 
So Jason, can you talk a little bit about the brokenness that you see, whether it's with employees, with the secondary trauma, the things that you had mentioned? Yeah, yeah. So um, thank you, Judge Altman, and she kind of touched on that too. Um, But this is, working at DFACS is, and I've done it my whole career, but it is a really challenging job. Um, I've seen lots of people come from different industries, you know, come from the school system or come from corporate jobs or come from counseling or lots of other career fields and then come work at DFACS. And they're like, oh, my goodness, I have never worked so hard in my entire life. This is the most challenging job there is. Um, And unfortunately, some of them decide, I can't do this long term. Um, It's that hard. Um, and it's, um, it's physically hard, the, the driving that they do. Um, it is emotionally hard. If you imagine the kind of decisions that they're um, involved in every day, um, it is mentally hard. It's, um, I mean, if you just look at our policy manual, it's overwhelming the amount of knowledge you need to do the job well. Um, so it's just it's one of those jobs that's really, really tough, and you think, oh, well, at least they must be paid well. No, unfortunately, they're not. They're paid worse than teachers. So, again, it's those two things that, that kind of really push people. And, and as Randall said, in addition to that, you're regularly getting exposed to children that have been abused and neglected. And so staff oftentimes deal with secondary trauma. When you get, abused, when you get exposed to that a lot, you can start feeling those same emotions um, that those children are feeling. And so that can impact burnout rates, too. And so because of that, unfortunately, we do all we can um, to try to retain staff, but we do have a high turnover rate, and that slows down the reunification process. That slows down the adoption process. Um, That has impacts on the quality of our work. Um, And so um, that's one of the biggest challenges of the system. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. One of the things that we as a community at Vintage have been doing is we've been investing into foster care overall for a long time. We've become more intentional uh, in this last season to be sure that we also invest into the people that serve um, in child welfare. And so I don't know if you guys saw a post about it, but a couple of months ago, we um, it was National Social Worker National, National Social, Worker. Social Worker Month. Was that April or March? One of those months. Anyway, we, um, it's March. you know, as being on the board uh, of DFACS, we got, you know, embroidered uh, laptop bags for everybody. But one of the things we did at Vintage with you guys' investment is we came alongside and we just filled up huge goodie bags full of things for these workers. There's 60 employees that work for him. Filled them up. We sent them home with freezer mills. Um, we had, they, had a, they had a big lunch, and we had a big picnic out here in the parking lot. And so one of the things we can do as a community is figure out how can we invest into people that work in the system, not just our families but employees as well. And that event was really incredible to the staff. They get beat up a lot by the community, by the media sometimes even. Um, and just to see that people love them and care about what they're doing. And many of them, just so you know, are doing this because of their faith. Like if you ask them, why did you get involved in child welfare? Why are you working at DFACS? It's because of their faith. So for the three of you guys, I would love all of you to talk about um, maybe any, um, what are some of your greatest moments? What are some things you've seen that have encouraged you? Um, how, how are you seeing God and his people on the move? Um, what difference you see them make? All right, so the uh, just the greatest part to me is just the investment in kids. You get to see them grow. You get a part of their life, whether they stay with you forever or not. 
you get a part of your life that you don't get to give that up when they give go home. Um, you know, I talked first service, right? We had a, a four-year-old that was with us and has since gone home, but he came through church like he owned the place, and this was y'all's building that he was visiting. And it was because people were intentional in, in reaching out to him, seeing other people love on the kids, to give them value, to give them importance. Uh, you know, coming from a neglectful situation, they don't experience that. So we've had kids that, you know, don't know how to receive love, don't know how to receive positive attention, and we get to teach them how to do that. And if you think about the trajectory of a kid, if they never learn that when they're little, how are they ever going to learn that when they're older? Um, you know, obviously them going home was, you know, probably our hardest, uh, hardest time. Um, you know, like I said, almost, almost two years. Um, they, uh, uh, we didn't, you know, it's where you have your faith, right? We believe that God has a plan. His plan was, was not for them to them stay with us and that's okay, but we have to live it out. They're remembered, they're loved, their handprints are back on the wall back there, right? So, like, they're always a part of us. And uh, while that stinks and, you know, we wish it was different, if they didn't go home, we wouldn't have the four kids we do now. So, you know, it's opened us up a, a hole to have more kids in the house. And, you know, at the time, you know, we didn't agree with those two going home. But, you know, we believe that there is a plan. And so in that, we have to be faithful that, you know, it's going to, play out like it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Got more questions for you about that in a right. second. We'll go ahead with you. Okay. I'll just talk about, you know, why why have I done this for so long? You know, there there must be some rewards. And I I will say when I get to go home at night and I know that a child is not going to be abused anymore because of a decision we made, that's huge. It's huge. Um, and sometimes that's just something as simple as a safety plan, you know, that, that means that that child is now safe. It doesn't necessarily have to be a big action step, but it's huge. When I see a family heal, when I see somebody get clean and get into recovery, that's huge, huge. And if I can play a little role in that, that's huge for me. Um, when I see a child reunified with a family and know that he is in a better environment, he or she, that then they left. I, I can't tell you what that feels like. I've done all, a lot of different kinds of work in the past, but I can't tell you what the, what the reward feels like to be able to play a little role in that. And again, when we're able to finalize a, an adoption and know that a child has a forever family, incredible. And we celebrate all of those things in my office, mm-hmm. all of those things. Casa has a slogan that says celebrating one child at a time. And the first time I read that, I was like, that takes too long. If kids can go on for two years, we need to celebrate every moment as it comes along. And so we do. We celebrate all of the victories, right? So you have somebody who goes into treatment. Oh, fantastic. You made it into treatment. And then they hit their three-month mark, and you celebrate that they've done that for three months or six months, and then, you know, that they've, they've made it to however long it is. And we celebrate all those victories. And you have some kid that comes in, and um, I've started doing this with our teenagers of, like, okay, so what do I need to ask you the next time I see you? Like, what, like tell me what you want to do between now and then. So when we come back, like, what's going to be good? Um, and they're like, I 
took my GED, or I passed my math class, or I did get to go on this trip for spring break. Um, whatever those small moments are, or whatever those events are, of really being able to celebrate them, because otherwise it's like, well, that's nice that you got into treatment, but are you going to stay there? And that's so discouraging, right? I mean, so just taking every opportunity to speak life, wherever they are, like, okay, you're not in treatment yet, but can you go? What, what's your plan? Like, you know, still, like, the, the, the goal is still the goal is still the goal, is that you will be healthy and well. Because if you are healthy and well, you will be able to take care of your kids, and your kids will be healthy and well. Right? That's like the parents take care of the kids. So if they're okay, we don't really have to worry so much about the kids. And I was just over hearing some conversations with foster parents about when they saw the birth mom interact with their kids, and the parent was clean. And they're like, oh, my gosh, she's really great. She knows her kids. She's invested. She's engaging. Like, this is a totally different person. And when you see that before, when they come in and they're jittery and they're defensive and they're angry and they're ashamed and they're embarrassed, and then at the end of the case, when they are clean and sober and apologetic and say, thank you. Nobody says thank you when DFAX first knocks on their door. I promise you that, okay? Like, DFAX is the most unwelcome participant in anybody's life. Um, cops are like more than DFAX. Um, at the end of it, when we see those, those celebrations and the thank you and the transformation, or when we know that it didn't work out with the birth parents, but there's an adoption coming soon, going to be okay you know these kids are are have been through a lot but like if the parents are okay or if they're in the right home these kids will will have such a better chance of success that's good so one of the things that's interesting is our adoption our adoption numbers for the last year do you want to share just a second about that like we usually have like what was it the year before like three yeah two, <laughs> two or three, two or for three the year. Right. and then this past year we had 30. 30. Yes. We had 30 yeah. adoptions so, in Paulding. Yeah. Just in Paulding. Huge numbers. And um, I'm sure we're on track for, you know, even we in, are. We I, are. Even in yes. the midst of COVID, you know, yes. and, and we have more to share about that next week with some of our own people. So I will leave you hanging on that. Um, but that's exciting. So, okay. So one of the things we hear the most is people say, you know, when we say to them, what about foster care? What about, would you think about it? Oh, I could never do that. I would get too attached. Oh, no, I just couldn't do that. What do you guys say about that? So if that's how you are, if you feel like you'd be too attached, then I'd say that that's, you know, you got the right heart for it. Then, you know, you want to, if, if a kid goes home and you're heartbroken and, you know, there's a void left, then you've loved them hard, you loved them well, you did your part while they were with you, and, uh, you know, you've done your job. I mean, right. it's, uh, you know, we miss we miss the two that left, you know, all the time. You see photos, whatever. They're, they're still on our wall. We have photos at home. They'll always be part of our family. We'll always pray for them. They'll always be loved by us. And, uh, you know, if, if that's how you feel, uh, I'd say to, like, sit in that a bit and just, you know, if, if you have the ability to love, you know, don't put a limit on it. Don't worry about your hurt. God will mend you. He's mended our hearts. Um, you know, we still miss them every day, but um, we're at peace with it. Because it goes back to the plan thing, right? right? We believe that they've, you know, there was a plan there. They went home. We got to help in mending a family back together. And uh, it opened our house up for, for four more kids. 
Right, and one of the things Jen Goodman said this morning is one of our foster families. She said, love costs. It's not going to be easy. That's just part of the deal. It costs you. And so uh, you see a small child coming into foster care, and you can go, oh, no, that's going to be too hard for me. It will break my heart. We have to begin to shift our perspective and think, what, what about that kid? What would it mean for that child to be able to come to a loving, Jesus-loving home that would invest and make a difference and literally shift the trajectory of that child's life? Literally forever have someone pray over them, introduce them to a community of faith, have extended family. Like they, they're different kids when they leave your house. In, in the four-year-old when he left, he knew Jesus loved him, right? We planted the seed. Everybody here loved on him. They took care of him, invested in him. And so, you know, maybe we don't see the harvest in that. But we did plant the seed. So that seed is there to grow. One of the things I loved about the Stovers is they did have that two-year placement. It was devastating. They were really hoping to adopt the two little boys, and that was not the plan. But I loved how, like, honestly, you guys, the letters we got from you during that season about how God was so faithful to, like, repair your hearts and to just breathe peace over y'all. It was really beautiful. Many people would walk away from foster care, and you guys just... Plugged on through. I, like spiritually, personally, right? I have grown more doing foster care um, because you you have to, right? Yeah. You can't. You you're so. I'm my wife and I both are extreme control uh, control enthusiasts, right? So everything <laughs> is with our you know anything that we can hang on to, and it has made us like have to surrender that mm-hmm. and to um, have faith and to. Be okay with unknowns and, you know, to cry about it and just, you know, not 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 forget and move on, but to heal. And we know we don't put God limit on what God can do for us. So he's mended our hearts and we're able to continue on. Yeah, that's good. So um, one of the things that people need to know is what are the things that are helpful for us as a community to come on? How can we make a difference in the kids lives? And you guys' lives, what are some things that we can do? Um, what has been helpful? What has your experience been? And you guys, I'd love for you to chime in. I love what you had to say the first service about that. Uh, so for us, you know, a lot of it is, like, just needing a break. You know, Shannon and I got to go away to Greenville uh, the other weekend, and we divided the kids up between four families. We had three families here that were able to take the kids. You know, it's huge to just be able to check out, you know, Everybody that's a parent knows parenting's tough enough, right? So being able to to just um, rest is huge. Uh, parents' nights out are huge. You know, having food, the Berkshires keep us in eggs. You know, I mean, everybody has something that they give to us, and all of it is appreciated. Um, and if I, you know, if there's something more to be done, I think you know, if the the kids learning that they're important and learning that they have value. Um, is something that they need and, you know, doing nothing more than to, to stop and talk to one of the kids, especially the older ones, um, to just connect with them. And you'll hear about things like Ninjago and Transformers and things that you've never heard about before. Uh, but that's okay because you're investing in them. You're talking to them. They see that. They feel that. And it makes a difference in how they feel about themselves. So where they weren't getting worth instilled in them, and value, you know, they get that while they're here. Even if they don't stay with us forever, they see what it's like and, and know what it's like. So. so one interesting thing that most people are unaware of is a few years ago they came out with this 
uh, is it a law called RPPS? A law called RPPS, which is Reasonable and Prudent Parenting. And so they basically say to a foster family, we want you to have some freedom in caring for these children in the sense that, like, back in the day, if they were invited to a birthday party, if if one of your foster children was invited to a birthday party, they couldn't go unless you were there because there needed to be somebody approved in foster care. So when we were fostering some girls, it was winter and it was snowing, and my neighbor had all the kids in for hot chocolate, and my kids had to sit outside because I was following the rules. They couldn't go in their house because Steve and I couldn't be in there. And so it's actually really beautiful that they've done this thing because it's given the foster parents the ability to say, hey, I know this person, I trust them, and if we go out of town for the weekend, they're able to actually stay over at their house for a night. And so when you were saying they went out of town, they were able, there were three different vintage families, only one of them was approved for foster care that literally came and spoiled the kid rotten overnight, right, for two days. So, I mean, they probably went to the park, ate out dinner, had lots of ice cream. Well, in our instance, right, with four kids, it's hard to give everybody single attention, right? So so being able to drop a single kid off with a family that they could have, you know, they like you say, right, cared for and loved on, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for us as foster parents, but it's a big deal for the kids too, to be able to just get some of that time when they're, like you say, they're, they're, they're treated like royalty. It's a big deal. Yeah. It was funny because, uh, Lisa Harris, who's part of our body, she had a child, um, over a weekend. And I mean, Lisa's so loving. She was like her little grandma. And so she like brought her in and built a fire and she cuddled up on the couch and gave her a blanket and hot chocolate. I ate lots of chocolate bars. I mean, she was just rot, full rotten the whole time. Actually bought her a bike at Walmart. She was like, okay, you don't have a bike? Okay, I got it. You know. um, but it's really beautiful because it's expo- it gives you a chance to invest and see really what it's like. You know, and so not – go ahead. Well, and, and as foster parents, right, nobody's going to trick you into taking, like, the really bad ones. We don't have any bad ones. But, you know, so, like, you know, there is no trick for us to drop them off and run. So don't be scared of the kids. They're, they're kids, right? They're, they're, they just want to be loved on. They want to be taken care of, made special. Um, so, you know, don't be scared of foster kids. They're yeah. like any other kid. That's good. A lot of our kids haven't had sort of what we have as normal experiences. They haven't been to the beach, haven't been to the mountains, haven't been to the lake, haven't been on a boat, um, haven't been to the zoo, haven't been to Centennial Park, none of these things. So if your family's going on an outing and you've got room for one or two more, invite your foster kids in the church. Just bring them along. If you're an uncle, aunt, grandma, grandpa, and you want to just do those kind of things, take them school shopping. Um, Decide if they need, don't you need Christmas pajamas? Everybody needs Christmas pajamas, right? Um, Ever need some slippers? How about flip-flops? Let's go um, pool shopping. New swimsuit, new flip-flops, new floaties, whatever it is. It's small stuff like that. We do that for our kids and don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. And there are kids who have literally never had these experiences. So there's lots of ways of coming around and supporting foster kids and foster families with just little things like that. There's, of course, more ways. You can be career professionals like Jason and I are. Um, You can also open up your home for fostering. You can become a CASA volunteer. You can come and hang out in court if you ever want to. I mean, you may never want to, but um, you're welcome to come and observe sometimes. Um, Or if it's just, as I said, you find out that somebody really wants to take dance class. That is not something that is covered by a per diem or the foster care supplement. That is over and above. So scholarship somebody on the activity that they really want to do. Sometimes it's somebody wants to take guitar lessons. 
Now, all of you musicians, I know you have more than one guitar in your house. Um, See if one of them you're ready to let them go or as you upgrade that some of those instruments, because those are sort of big ticket items that don't normally come in foster care. Um, So lots and lots of ways to support our kids. That's good. So um, we're running short on time, but I would love to hear any other encouragement you have for the church or parents or anything else you feel like you'd like to add. I'm just going to um, say for those of you that have invested in any way in child welfare that I am incredibly thankful for that, whether that means you worked in child welfare, whether that means you've been a foster parent, whether you've been an adoptive parent, whether you've been a CASA, whether you've just um, supported in many of the ways that have been shared here. You know, even that, that event that Randall talked about for my staff, they really felt loved that day, and that's incredible because... They get beat up a lot, and and to, to feel love and feel loved by a church and to know that people are praying for them and support the work that they do, that's incredible. Um, you know, for us, we're still doing foster care because of Vintage. You know, where, where we were at before, the two boys we had, um, like we had, a, we had a really tough go at it, and uh, we were really done with foster care. We were just riding it out until they went home, and, uh, you know, we've been praying about a new church home, and we just happened to come up here on a uh, on a foster care appreciation dinner for Paulton County parents, and we met Steve, and we, you know, got a feel for the church, and we came up here, and Mother's Day four years ago, I think it was, you know, we, was our first time here. So, you know, it has renewed us, so the love that comes into us helps us keep doing this. So, you know, it goes back to you don't necessarily have to take a kid um, to to help with foster care, um, but we're still doing foster care because of the community here and the people that are here. So, you know, everybody that whatever you're doing, it's, it's great. We appreciate it every day. So um, as I close out, just a reminder that um, I hope you've been uh, spurred on to think about ways – Um, maybe outside of the box that you personally could do something that makes a difference, whether it's back to school supply shopping or, um, and again, we do have parents night out. So we had one on April 24th where all of our foster families drop off their um, foster kids and bio kids and they go say, let's go to a restaurant. Let's just go stare at each other. We usually end up talking about kids most of the time. Then we're like, all right, you got to stop. And then we talk talk about something else. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, those opportunities are up, and that is a, you know, that's a three or four hour. Is that Christina Moore back there? Tina. Tina was one of our volunteers. I don't know if Shelly Smith's in here. Um, they volunteered at the last one, and it's a, it's a four-hour investment where you read books, you hang out, you give hugs. Uh, you just make a difference in small ways that add up for foster families. And so there is a sheet out there. If, if God's given you anything today that you're like, I'd like to do this one thing or this, or I'd like to connect with one family or two families or whatever else. Just pray about it and let us know. Um, We're just grateful to be in part of a community that cares and wants to make a difference. And so, um, yeah, let us know if you have questions or anything else. Last thing, is there anything else you feel like you need to share? Great. Thank you, guys. Steve, can you pray? All right. Well, um, again, just give it up for our panel this morning, please.